Hi everyone and welcome back to My Movie Story. I'm your host Brian. Uh, This is the podcast where we talk to everyday people from all walks of life about three special movies. Uh, Those movies being uh, their number one all-time favourite or one of their favourites. A film that was uh, life-changing for them or changed their perspective on life or people or the world. So something really profound in that way. And then one film that they think everyone must see in their lifetime. Uh, So it could be one of the well-known classics or it could be one you've never heard of uh, so it's really up to the guest and and what their films are uh, and my guest today is Anne Fusel uh, from Colorado and Anne is a writer she's also a business owner an editor a proofreader a data entry tech and a transcriber so she's a, a busy person as you can see and she's um Anne's also struggled with her own mental health issues in in the past and she feels called to really be an advocate for others who have had some of the same challenges in life and her take on movies. And I guess the theme of the movies we're going to talk about today is um, films that are are good for your mental health, uh, which is a really, really smart way to watch a film, I think. And and absolutely they're great for your mental health. I couldn't agree more. Um, And she's actually written a book, um, that book being called our favorite movies, how films affect our mental health, uh, where she talks about certain films that some of those films are um, featured in our podcast episode today. So uh, without further ado, Anne, welcome to My Movie Story. How are you today? I'm doing well. I'm very excited to be on your show. So thank you so much for having me. Yeah, no, thank you. This is really exciting. And um, not only another a movie buff, but uh, an author, someone who's written a book about movies. And um, yeah, I'm really, really excited and, and looking forward to this this chat as well. So, um, And I think it's a really interesting angle you're coming to the episode today around how films improve our mental health and which was the basis of your book. So could you tell us a little bit more about your book and, and yeah, your relationship to films and, and how they help mental health? Like where did all this sort of come from? Sure. Um, so movies have always been there for me. They've always helped me with my mental health. And um, I've been dealing with uh, bipolar disorder and generalized anxiety disorder for decades. Been dealing with depression and anxiety since I was a little kid. So I've always gone to movies to help me through life. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in therapy. I take medication. I, I have strong, um, strong relationships, but um, it's always good to have as many sort of um, uh, legs to stand on as you can when it mm-hmm. comes to coping skills or things to help you through the day. Yep. So one of those for me is movies and I really love to help people understand how much movies can help everyone and yep. how it's an easy you know cheap way you know some people think oh coping skills that's like yoga that's like hmm. um you know going on retreats and spending all this money on on all these different things to try to get yourself in a better mind space it's as simple as watching, you know, taking a movie you have on, on your shelf for DVD or going to your, you know, streaming or cable if you got cable and yep. just watching a movie. Yeah. So it's it's an sure. easy, simple, um, really great way to, to cope with what, what you've got going on in your life. 100%. You know, and uh, we live in a, a very convenient time of being able to access those movies now with watching a film on our tablet, our laptop, our computer, our phone, uh, you know, and we can pause it there and go and watch it on a different device in another room or another country <laughs> or another state or time zone and just continue with that. So um, that's that's probably a really helpful part with the, the mental health journeys, being able to take it with you, you know, before it was all videos and DVDs. Uh, but now we've, you know, some people would say it's probably too convenient, but I think maybe in the vein of... Um, being able to access those films for mental health, having that convenience is is probably a good thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's definitely, you know, yeah, but when you, you talk about the being too convenient, you know, it, it's it's important for folks not to spend 24-7 watching movies. It's okay to watch, you know, a movie a day or even sure. a couple of movies a week or something like that. Absolutely. But we also want to talk about moderation, I think, is something that's important as well. Um, yeah. 
Patton Oswalt um, has a really interesting book. If you know the comedian Patton Oswalt at all? No, I haven't heard of that comedian, no. Um, so he's he's really funny. He's um, been in a, a number of movies and TV shows and such. But he has a book about how he would just obsessively go to the movies specifically to um, see older movies mm. um, to the point where he was neglecting relationships and things like that. Right. Yep. Um, so it's important, like everything in life, in moderation. Absolutely. Um, but I, I, I am a firm believer that, you know, it, that movies really, really can help, not only comfort us but mm -hmm. show us things, help us understand things and understand people better. Yeah, spot on. I couldn't agree with you more, Anne. And I think. Uh you know, the importance of having diversity in movies and, and showing different people and different from different walks of life and different different situations is important. And and it's good to expand your your viewing um, you know, horizons, I suppose, and watch as many different movies as possible. Um, which and for me and since hosting this podcast, it's actually um encouraged me to go and watch the films our guests want to talk about before we do the episode. And I've gone and watched films I've never heard of and films I maybe normally wouldn't watch. And I've found myself really enjoying them. Um, and, you know, one of those films we, you're going to talk about today, which I didn't even know existed, and um, I've watched it and I, I love it. And I'm really keen to talk about that one with you. Um, so quickly, uh, just quickly about your book. So this this relationship with movies and mental health sort of spawned this book that you've written. So can you tell us a bit about this book and what could readers um, expect or experience with the book? Sure. Sure, the book. So basically, it's there's three parts to it. The first part is my mental health journey. You know, what steps or what what I've gone through on my mental health journey, including a suicide attempt. So it goes, it can go kind of dark in parts. Um, but obviously, I'm still here. So that's good. Hmm. Um, and then I talk about the psychology behind movies. I talk about sort of the net some of the negatives that can you can find in movies and how those affect people things like racism sexism transphobia mm -hmm. xenophobia fat phobia that kind of thing yeah and then um exactly how movies affect me how they affect everyone um so that whole bit was the psychology piece and then i have a movie guide where i talk about 12 of the movies well, 10 of the movies that I watched, me and my sister growing up over and over and over again. Yep. And then two of the movies that I discovered when I was in my 20s and 30s that I really, really enjoyed. Fantastic. Yeah. And I believe uh, the three films you're going to talk today are also featured in your book. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. So yeah. So the 12. beautiful. Yeah. So uh, anyone who's keen to check out Anne's book, you can see the the cover on the screen now and we'll pop the link um under this episode as well for anyone who'd like to order themselves a copy i have and it's on its way it's being shipped across the pacific uh, i think as we speak so <laughs> i'm uh yeah keen to read that and dive right into that topic i think it's really great really helpful uh so fantastic so let's let's look at these movies now and so we've got like i said we've got these three categories your all-time favorite uh the film that changed you or your perspective and the film you think everyone must see. So I thought we might start with the film that is your all-time favourite. Um, so I'll just let you just tell us the name of that film and introduce it, and then we'll we'll go from there. Sure. Yeah. So my all-time favourite movie is Inside Out, which is a Pixar film um, that came out about 10 years ago. Really? Ready to launch on your command, sir. Just shut up! Fire! That's it. Go to your room. The foot is down. The foot is down. Yeah! Good job, gentlemen. That could have been a disaster. Well, that was a disaster. Come, fly with me, Gachinha. going to have a sequel i'm very excited about that yes um, can't wait for that yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be great but basically the story is it's about an 11 year old girl named riley and the five basic emotions inside of her head anger fear joy sadness and disgust 
Did I get all five and this being? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yep. <laughs> um, so basically what happens is that um, Riley moves um, because her dad gets a job in another state. And so she goes from Minnesota to San Francisco, California. And we see um, her emotions sort of for the first time really get tested, get, mm -hmm. get uh, extreme and yep um fight with each other and you know mm. have a she she really turns into almost like another person yep and so it's really it, i really love it because um it really shows mental health i think in a really interesting way mm. it shows sadness in an interesting way one yep. of the things that happens in the movie is that sadness and joy get lost inside riley's mind that's right and yeah. you really yeah you understand what happens when you can't get, go to sadness anywhere where you can't feel sadness and how important sadness is to a person because everybody realizes how important joy and happiness are everybody realizes oh how hard is it when you can't feel happiness but not everybody realizes how hard it is when you can't feel sadness mm. yeah that every emotion has a purpose yeah, and there's a particular scene in the film which you might bring up or I might mention where, you know, where one of those emotions surprises the other one um, and actually helps them move forward, which was, I thought, really interesting. And and I guess as a, not just one of Pixar's best films, but it's one of the, probably one of the best animated films ever made. And just as, as a standalone film from the past 10 years, because 2015, I think it came out, you said, um mm -hmm. yeah it's it's just got to be one of the one of the best films period that i've seen in a very long time um yeah so um what do you think was sort of the agenda of the film do you think it was was it just to pixarize you know the inside of a, a girl's head and the emotions or was it trying to say something else like i mean there's a lot going on in this film obviously so uh what else do you take away from it what makes it such a, a standout film well, I know that um, the one of the directors, um, Pete Doctor, I believe is his name. Um, he wanted to make the film because of the experience that he had with his daughter, who around eleven or so, started having these sort of strong feeling of sadness and anger and fear, and he wanted to sort of try to understand her better. And I think he wanted to help um, families understand children and, and what they're going through mm. around this age. Yep. So that was that was a big part of it, I think. Yep. For sure. You know, they're trying. I think they want to show mental health in a positive light. Mm. And I remember there was a shirt where they're like, with all the Pixar stuff, what if? What if cars had feelings? What if such and such feelings? What if feelings had feelings? Yeah, what a great question. So, yeah. Yep. Um, yeah, I think there there could be, you know, I think with any movie you could you, you think about what what are the all the different reasons why they made this film. But I think mm. the number one reason they made the film was to help people understand mental health and help and, and see it in a more positive light. Yep. 100%. Yeah. And it does that very well. And, and also still works within the parameters of being an animated film where it's, it's comical and it's colorful and it's, it's imaginative. So it's, it, it, you know, like, for example, when they start to wander around Riley's mind and she's asleep and they go into like the dream factory and it's like a movie studio <laughs> and you've got the posters saying falling and teeth dropping out and you're just watching it thinking like, oh my god like i can relate so much to this you know and and each each character i mean obviously it's at riley's journey but the the characters that are her emotions all go through their own journey most most of all joy and sadness so um can you come can you comment a little bit on joy and sadness and how do they i guess change and help each other and, and clash along the way like because obviously their journey is really crucial to what's going on so yeah what are your thoughts on that the joy and sadness relationship sure well i thought that was a really interesting relationship because you see it at first you see joy very 
controlling with sadness and like you can only stay in this little circle you're only allowed to be sad over in the corner yeah, yeah. and you yeah. know you can't you can't the the idea that sadness would touch anything makes joy furious mm. so you know like just just be over by yourself and don't do anything that's right um so you know at first they're they're definitely opposites um or at least joy believes sadness is the opposite of her but i think sadness is always throughout the movie even from the beginning sadness is more multi-dimensional than joy is yep um she she is um her own person kind of thing her own emotion for sure so um but you know we see them you know getting sucked out of emotional headquarters where they sort of live and they emote into you know i think she starts in in the um in the memories and and the core memories um, that's right yeah um, so basically what we see is joy's um growing up i think we see joy maturing throughout the film mm. and we see her understanding that she's not necessarily the most important emotion she's one of the most important emotions yeah she certainly held herself in that regard like because prior to riley and her family moving to san francisco she lived this very happy blissful life and joy was pretty much running the show and everyone had a very clear purpose but once they moved and joins joy sort of lost that control and she was trying so desperately to make riley happy because that was her purpose and then she discovered that, you know, her purpose didn't matter because Riley was changing. So Joy had to change with her. And I, and I think there's a the scene that really cemented how brilliant I thought this film was uh, in terms of how it deals with mental health is um, where they meet, where they meet uh, Bing Bong, uh, her imaginary mm-hmm. friend. Mm-hmm. And they're walking along and, you know, as Riley changes, you know, the, the little work people the little minions or whatever they are that work in her brain are shoveling everything off the edge of the cliff and into the canyon and over goes bing bong's um you know uh, the rocket ship that he and riley built and he gets sad and then joy's like come on it'll be fine let's just keep going and then sadness sits down next to him and talks to him and listens to him about his sadness and then he feels better and then they get up and keep moving and joy's just like what just happened so that I feel that scene was brilliant in orchestrating how it's okay to feel sad. You know, like mm-hmm. it's, there's a lot of sometimes shame and stigma over these negative, painful emotions. It's like be positive and upbeat all the time. And that's not reality. That's not how we're, we're designed. And that's what I thought that scene signified. Um, so I thought that was brilliant how they did that. Um, and, and from your point yeah. of view, any other scenes that really stood out for you? Well, I just want to say, I think I write about that scene in my book because I just, that's probably my favorite scene in the whole movie. It's, it's brilliant. Yeah. How, how important empathy is and how you tap into empathy is through sadness mm. um, or the memory of sadness. So, yeah. um, you know, that's really important. I actually, I worked on a Colorado at the, uh, so I live in Colorado and I worked at the Colorado crisis and support line for a year. So I really, you know, I I have experience with that kind of scene. Right. And it's really important not to try to just, oh, everything's going to be okay and mm-hmm. you're going to be okay and, you know, that kind of thing. So yeah. I, I really love that scene. Yeah. I love the whole, I, I pretty much any scene with Bing Bong, whether it's a happy or a sad scene, I, yeah. I enjoy. I thought yeah. um, that the voice actor for that, um, Richard Kind, I believe, is the one is right. the uh, guy who voices Bing Bong. I mean, I like all the voice actors, but he he, I think, is yep. particularly good. Very good, yeah. And like the the part that I think pretty much everyone cried was when that Joy and Sadness finally make it up, and he's like, "Take her to the moon for me," and he just fades away. Yeah. It's, oh, it's like heartbreaking, heartbreaking. <laughs> but you know, Pixar, like they're just you know geniuses when it comes to storytelling and and the symbolism behind the themes and how they how they use the 
whatever character or you know um image they're focusing on toys cars fish dinosaurs monsters <laughs> and they can convey these amazing emotions i think it's very very clever storytelling it would be fascinating to be a fly on the wall in the the room with all the writers sitting there coming up with these yeah. ideas wouldn't it yeah well as a character is i think it's dolly pardon's character in uh, steel magnolia says laughter through tears is my favorite emotion yeah there you go and interesting so, you mentioned you that because I just spoke to one of our guests and her film was uh, Steel Magnolias. Um, oh. Yeah, uh, Tonya, episode 10. So if anyone wants to explore that film a bit more, you can you can check that out and, and watch it yourself. So, yeah, interesting little reference there. So, yeah, um, <laughs> another reason for me to go and watch Steel Magnolias, which I didn't get around to watching. But, um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, fantastic. Um, so I guess uh, any other sort of final comments or, you know, uh, uh, observations about inside out like is there or you know is there something about the film that maybe really surprised you or that you know that taught you about something like how did it mm. you know just surprise you well i i was uh, i would say um i don't know if it surprised me but it i loved it the the scenes where they sort of show inside of other people's heads oh, yeah. besides Riley, <laughs> including a cat and a dog. Yes. That was hilarious. That was great. That was There's a great touch. There's some really, really funny parts yep. um, you see inside of, I also like how um, inside of her mom's head, it's like everybody's, all the, the, the parts of inside of her head are empathetic, which I thought yes. was really interesting. Yep. Um, and inside the dad, they're all like the angry and gruff, that. and yeah, yeah. Her dad, yeah, he's got that gruffness to him. Sure. And um, the helicopter pilot that keeps showing up, and uh, the mom's, and then the teacher's head. I thought was kind of funny. Yeah, yeah. I think my favorite um, was at the end where she meets the boy at the hockey game, and he's like, and it's like, girl, girl, girl. girl <laughs> the alarm's going off, and they're all like. <laughs> like just i cracked up laughing that was that was brilliant yeah. so yeah and and uh the sequel is coming at some point um we don't know yet if it's a year after this one or riley is a teenager or we, we just don't know pixar tend to have different you know uh, timelines with their sequels um but yeah what, what would you like to see in the sequel or what are you like hoping for well i'm hoping that sadness has another big part to play yeah. Um. That would be great. Mm -hmm. I'm. I'm. In, you know. My. Uh, other than sadness and joy, I would like to see more of fear. I think. Mm -hmm. I'm a big Bill Hader fan, who's the actor, voice actor who played. Yep. Fear. Oh, he was great. Um, he? I think he's hilarious. Yeah. I actually had a, a a work costume party many years ago, and my team and I all went as the characters from Inside Out, and it was it was perfect because the characters we played almost matched our looks and our personalities. And I'll uh, I'll pop the picture up here on the screen as I'm talking about it. And I played Fear, and I had a great fun making that costume and just being like all night long. And and um, you know, the girl who, from our staff who was sadness, she had sort of the short hair and the glasses, and and the girl who played Joy is naturally this really happy person. So it was just perfect. Like everyone fitted their characters perfectly. It was really fun channeling Fear for a night. And I had purple face paint on. It was great. <laughs> So I highly recommend dressing up as one of those characters. It was it was good fun. Fantastic. I've actually dressed up as Sadness once. It didn't turn out so great. I looked a little weird, but I have <laughs> dressed up as Sadness. Oh, brilliant, brilliant. All right, brilliant. Oh, well, Inside Out, look, I think most people who are watching this have, have seen it. And if they haven't, you know, you, you owe it to yourself to discover this film. And uh, it will it will just uh, make you laugh, make you cry, make you think. It's just brilliant in every way. Um, and granted they've taken some time to do the sequel hopefully it'll be just as good if not better um sort of like a toy story two or three you know how they just kept getting better and better so fantastic all right well we, we might jump into the next movie and we'll just we'll keep rolling and so uh, this next one is the film that um changed you or your perspective on on life or or some aspects so I'll, I'll let you tell us what that is and um you know i'm, I'm really uh, grateful that you uh, introduced this film to me and um, I watched it and really enjoyed it. Made me think of another film from the early 90s called Heart and Souls, uh, which I really liked. Um, this was obviously very different, but kind of in that similar sort of uh, vein, I guess. But anyway, I'll let you tell us what is what is this film and what's it all about? <laughs> sure. So Defending Your Life 
is a film um, written, directed, and starring Albert Brooks. So I'm on trial for being afraid. Well, first of all, I don't like to call it a trial. Second of all, yes. If you see one movie before you die... I love you! I love you! This is damn exciting stuff. See, defending your life. Most people love it. Some it makes nauseous. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Who um, some might have seen him as, or heard his voice in the Finding Nemo movies as That's the right. dad. That's right, yeah. Uh, and then it co-stars Meryl Streep. And basically, Albert Brooks's character um, is driving a car, and he gets into an accident. He dies. He goes to the afterlife. Mm. In the afterlife, you go on trial to determine whether you are reincarnated or whether you go on to the next level, which they never make entirely clear if that means heaven or another realm or or what exactly the next level is. Yeah. Um, so we see that the Albert Brooks character was a very fearful person throughout his life. And the Meryl Streep character, who he meets sort of randomly um, when he's... Um, and now I'm forgetting to... Remind me how exactly they meet, because I'm I'm drawing a blank on that. Uh, he, goes to, um, he goes to watch a stand-up comedian, and she's That's sitting right. a few tables away from him. Yep. That's right. That's right. Yep. Um, so... Basically, um, they are complete opposites, but he makes her laugh. He um, in, really enjoys her company. They they have an instant connection, even though they're very different people. Mm. So, but as as the time goes on, he it's it becomes clear and clear to him that she is definitely moving on, and he probably is not. So he has to sort of figure out what to do about the whole situation That's and right. how to connect you know how to connect or not connect with her while they're both in the afterlife yeah yeah and this and this afterlife is was this fascinating place called judgment city um so tell us a little bit about judgment city and like uh yeah could could you sort of uh what were some i guess some of the comparisons to society that were going on there and because it was a really unique take i think on i guess that time between death and then you know the next place that kind of limbo i guess where souls might go uh, for mm -hmm. a few days or something but yeah tell, tell us a little bit about the setting and then maybe we can talk a bit so, about when he goes on trial uh, which is what the title of the film is referring to so yeah judgment city what is this place yeah judgment <laughs> city is basically like um suburbia i think would mm. probably be the best way to describe judgment city um <laughs> I think they said it was kind of like Los Angeles, like suburban Los Angeles at one point. But it's very sunny. It's always like 72 degrees. Mm. Um, it's beautiful. You can like ride horses and go out to restaurants and see um, your past lives at the Past Life Pavilion, which was one of my favorite scenes. Mm -hmm. um, so you can sort of... and and. You can eat all you want and not gain weight. You can, you know, you don't get hurt. Nothing bad can ever happen to you yep. in yep. Judgment City. So, um, but yeah, like Shirley MacLaine has a little um, cameo in the Past Lives Pavilion, mm -hmm. which is a cute little scene. I don't know how many people know who Shirley MacLaine is these days, but she's sort of famous for being very vocal about believing in reincarnation. So. Mm, right right yeah i didn't i didn't pick up that that was her oh, oh i'll have to go back and uh yeah because again we just reviewed um terms of endearment um on a previous episode uh with uh that was shirley mclean wasn't it i think yes yeah. it was yes sorry I and she was in steel magnolias and steel magnolias yes yeah very big in the 80s and uh and early 90s yeah absolutely um yeah it's it's a fascinating take on you know that that place in between death and afterlife and i written and directed by albert brooks who um has a very sort of a dry kind of sarcastic sense of humor you know he's very witty he's very like tongue-in-cheek kind of humor um and can and can play a you know this this man in this ex existential crisis 
And, you know, he was the perfect voice for for Marlon in the Finding Nemo films. I thought that was genius casting as well. <laughs> um, yeah, so um, let's talk a little bit about the process he goes through and why he's in Judgment City, which is to defend his life, um, which right. uh, when I saw the trailer for the film, they don't really show that part. They kind of more just show the relationship between him and Meryl Streep. Uh, but it has this whole other element to there where it basically he's revisiting these scenes in his life. So, yeah, can you comment a little bit on that and and yeah what, sure. what what was that all about did you think well i thought it was really interesting so basically what happens is that um there's like a prosecutor and a defendant and mm. defender defender defending attorney kind of thing like it's an actual trial yep um but one of the things that i found was interesting was how much the the prosecutor um, sort of felt like she was she really knew what she was doing and she was very specific and they called her the dragon lady yeah which I found that was very interesting yeah but they come up with different scenes from his life over his entire life since he was a baby mm-hmm. um, to sort of show scenes where either he was living his life out of fear or out of joy or or some other emotion yeah um but I think it, it's got a it's a really interesting portrayal of anxiety, of what it's like to live with anxiety, how anxiety can hold you back at times. Um, but also why you should forgive yourself for feeling fear, for feeling anxious. Mm. I yeah. I think that um there are different ways you can look at this movie. Um there's different sort of different um so many different ways you can approach sort of thinking about this movie but one of them for me was was the anxiety bit Mm. and you know how that dragon lady can that that voice in your head that's saying you know your your fear is unnatural your fear is terrible you know what Mm. you're feeling is you're a bad person because you're feeling fear or anxiety. Yeah. That stigma, that <laughs> stigma and shame that was, um, was around at the time very much. So in the, in the early nineties when it was filmed and, you know, I think we've gotten better in recent years, um, especially coming out of COVID and all the lockdowns and everything. Uh, but it's, it's still there. You know, that stigma is still there, you know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and and being a, a sort of a lighthearted comedy film for the most part, it portrays that topic in a in an interesting way, and it's uh you know it's it's really well acted and and you know Mel Brooks and sorry Albert Brooks not Mel Brooks Albert Brooks and uh, Meryl Streep have a really nice chemistry together I thought, and I really like the actor who played his defending lawyer, um, uh, Rip Torn Rip Torn who yeah. uh, sadly passed away not long ago but had lots of little uh, supporting roles in different films over the years. And mm-hmm. he's, he's fantastic. Like I, yeah. I really liked his part in the film and what did he keep saying? It's like uh, Albert would ask him a question. He's like, I could tell you, but you wouldn't understand because <laughs> <laughs> their brain capacity is like 50% and he's still only using like 3% of his brain or something. So it was exactly. lots of nice little touches in there, which was very Albert Brooks style kind of comedy. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. And uh yeah, a really interesting film, uh, you know, kind of an offbeat, odd sort of story and portrayal, but really nicely done. And it has a really, a really positive ending as well. Um, and uh, yeah, is, uh, is there any sort of other particular moments in the film that uh, really stood out for you? Or uh, I guess, yeah, being in the category of, of a cha- a film that changed you or your perspective in some way, like ha- how did it change you or your perspective? Like sure. what makes it so profound? Um... Well, I really do believe that it it um shaped the way I I view the afterlife. I mm. mean, I I know this isn't exactly the the <laughs> I won't go too much into it, but I really do feel that you know what what happens after we die is something that happens that that like something like this movie. I think that um you know we we are our, our our lives are looked at and we determine where we go next mm. so yeah i, I liked it, that it, take it, i was i had that sort of thought when i was watching it as well i'm like maybe there is that little 
limbo right after we pass away, like where we we sort of examine our life and we kind of are given maybe sort of a choice of what will that next stage look like for us. It was a really interesting idea. Um, you know, there's there's other films obviously that explore the afterlife. Um, the one that came to mind when I was watching this was the Robin Williams one. Um, what dreams may come. Did you ever see that one? Ah, yes. yes. Yeah. Great. Very heavy film, quite depressing, but visually stunning, like where it's all the paintings that his wife had painted and it's all like these artistic realms that he goes into looking for his wife and everything. So that was interesting, you know, and, and another one, which is about the the lead up to death, meet Joe Black, which is another good one as well. Um, yeah, which definitely. was one of my personal favorites, but yeah, again, uh, like this film was really funny. It's, it's lighthearted. It's not too heavy given the subject matter. It's, it's clever, you know, it's entertaining and, and the, the sort of, uh, you know, like when he first dies and they're kind of wheeling him out on the wheelchair and everyone's just kind of like these sort of zombies and it takes him a while to kind of wake <laughs> up and realize what's, what's going on. Um, yeah, and it was kind of like he was a guest in this hotel and kind of like a tourist, really. That was sort of the portrayal. He was like a tourist in this world. And then he started to kind of figure out how to use it to his advantage. And yeah, very, very clever, really original. And, I think um, it also yeah. sort of changed my mind about living with anxiety. Mm. How can you live with anxiety? As I mean, as I watched it over the years, the fact that you can live with anxiety and even find ways to overcome it and find ways to help to work with it in your life. Yes. To use it in different ways. Yeah. And not completely succumb to it, yep. but not feel like it's the worst thing that ever happened. And you're a terrible person. For no, of course not. Anxious. Which I think a lot of people do get very hard on themselves um, with their mental health conditional diagnosis. And, berate themselves and beat themselves up about it and um yeah and it's part of being human i guess it can happen to any of us and like you said i think learning to live with it and is really important and a really smart way to to work through it so yeah really that's a really great point and some great advice i think for anyone watching who might feel that way absolutely Okay, so for, for your final film, Anne, we're kind of changing uh, genres. We've gone from sort of an animated film set in a girl's mind, uh, a romantic comedy set in the afterlife, and <laughs> now something very, very different. Um, and uh, I saw this film as a kid. I have very vague, foggy memories of it. So treat me like I've never seen it and, um, you know, tell, tell us all about it. What's, what's this film? <laughs> sure. Okay, well, it is The Princess Bride, which I believe everybody should see in their lifetime. Yep. Bye, bye, bye. Have fun storming the castle. It's more than turning. What's the difference? We've got him. Think it'll work? It would take a miracle. Goodbye. It's a story of love. A tale of adventure. It's as real as the feelings you feel. I'm kissing again. Someday you may not mind so much. The Princess Bride. Not just your basic, average, everyday, ordinary, run-of-the-mill, ho-hum fairy tale. And I think a lot of people have seen it in their lifetimes already, So, uh, but I will treat it like everybody has not seen it. Um, right. So basically, The Princess Bride is the story of a group of um, people in this sort of magical land Um where uh so we start with um wesley who um starts as a farm boy and then goes off to seek his fortune and then everybody thinks that he is dead so the print the so buttercup um pro is prom promises to marry a prince um who ends up being evil and he is trying to kill her so Wesley comes to try to save her um, from being killed by a swordsman um, and a Spaniard um, named, oh, what is the Spaniard's name? Um, Indigo Montoya. <laughs> uh, Andre the Giant, um, who is the Giant. Him, and, him I remember from we, the wrestling days, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> with a heart of gold, but very strong. Yeah. Um, and Vicini, who is believes himself to be the smartest man alive <laughs> so basically the first part of the story 
well, the first part of the story is we sort of get everything set up, and then second part of the story is Wesley trying to save Buttercup from these three people who are who are kidnapping her, right. and then we go forward from there. Makes so, sense. um, it's a fairy tale story. It's um, I think just hilarious. It's beautiful. It's it's just um, it's just it's the story of how important people are to each other how important a grandfather is reading this story to his grandson in the movie but um yeah it's just it's it's one of those movies that's in the collective unconscious i think yeah it has a bit Um, of a cult following doesn't it yeah it has a cult following for sure it's got a lot of archetypes in it the different characters are definitely archetypes in it yep and um it'll just it'll make you smile and if mm. you've already seen it watch it again because it'll make you smile again so. <laughs> yeah and and you mentioned it's sort of set in this fantasy land so is it is it like a period in history or is it like a completely fictional world like middle earth like tell us can you tell us a bit more about the world and, and the setting like what's going on there sure um yeah it's like i don't know do you know the the term magical realism no so magical realism is sort of this idea where it's sort of a cross between like a fantasy um, and, uh, and a reality where it's the real world with uh, fanatical concepts and, and things. So there's like giant rats and, and killer eels and stuff, but it also feels like it could be like medieval Europe. Mm. So it's... Um, it it takes place in a fictional country, right. um, and with abutted by other fictional countries, but a lot of it is you know it's very real. It feels very real. It just has mm-hmm. these sort of elements of of yep. fantasy. Yeah. Okay. And and some of the cast uh, in this film is it's got a couple of uh, famous, well known faces in there, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So. Um, it's got um, Carrie Elwes as Wesley, uh, Robin Wright as Buttercup, Andre the Giant as Fezzik. Um, it's got Christopher Guest in it. So it depends on who you think is as famous and all that kind of thing. Like, yeah, you can keep going. Peter yeah. Selleck, uh, mm-hmm. Fred Savage. So oh, there's... Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's it's a film that I find keeps sort of popping up in, in conversations. And I think they they screen it in theaters every now and then. So it definitely has this huge following. And it's it's de- it's been a film on my on my to watch list to go back and watch because I'm pretty sure I saw it as a kid or at least it was on TV a lot of the time. And maybe my older sisters were watching it. And probably what attracted me to it when I was young was the fact that I had a wrestler in it because I was... um crazily crazy about wrestling in the 80s you know when you had hulk hogan and all these kind of guys and uh yeah and um i guess is it would you say it fits into one genre is it a fantasy is it comedy like or is it a bit of a mix of a few different things oh it's definitely a mix i think it's a fantasy it's a comedy it's a romantic comedy um you know it's it's definitely got dramatic bits mm-hmm. thriller bits so i think it's got everything in it yeah fantastic so what what makes this a film that you think everyone needs to see like what what sort of makes it stand out so much among maybe other films of its time or style for you um i think it's just it's just perfection i think it's just one of those movies in my mind is the perfect movie i don't see um really any big issues with it it's just you know just wonderful it's just mm-hmm. hilarious oh and billy crystal plays a miracle oh, man in it. right billy crystal, and... <laughs> billy crystal he's great um he's he's fantastic um i'm i'm a huge billy crystal fan mm. I, I i can't go wrong with billy crystal he's great yeah um there's this whole scene where he um that that he's in where all the jokes were improv mm-hmm. 
he did not write anything and he they filmed for three days this scene and he just came up with new joke after new joke after new joke and actually one of the actors bruised his ribs because he was holding them so hard to keep from laughing <laughs> you can actually bruise the rib from not laughing apparently. wow yeah that's amazing yeah what a story He's a very funny guy yeah, and, and very, uh, you know, one of the best Oscar hosts we've ever had, I think. Um, and I read a book of his called 700 Sundays. Are you familiar with that book? Mm-hmm. So yeah. it was, um, he wrote this book called 700 Sundays because that was how many Sundays he had with his dad before his dad passed away. Um, oh. So you've got how many Sundays in a year? 52. So 700 in total. Um, so he had his dad. What does that make it? He had his dad for... I don't my maths is terrible, but his dad, his dad passed away when he was quite young. And then he turned that book into this live stage show. And uh, he brought that stage show to Australia and I didn't get the chance to see it. But then I found out there's a book about it. Um, and I read the mm-hmm. book and it's hilarious. It's very much Billy Crystal and uh, very emotional as well. So that's definitely a good read uh, for anyone who likes Billy Crystal stuff. But um, yeah. And uh, again, another, another film that, uh, you know, the film buff community would probably criticize me for not seeing because i know it's <laughs> it's such a well-loved film and a classic in many ways um but like i said i'm pretty sure i saw it as a kid i just don't remember but anyway I'll, i will go back and, and discover it um do you have a favorite scene or moment from the film oh there's so many good ones um <laughs> i'm trying to think about i think the the billy crystal the 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 miracle max scene is my right. favorite scene but yep. mutton lettuce and tomato the just all the jokes that he has in that scene it's just right. you just see a master at work with that absolutely so and carol kane is fantastic in that scene as his wife okay so yeah she's really good in that as well yeah lots of familiar um, names there popping up yeah fantastic the princess bride yeah cool um all right well thank and then, you like anyone want a peanut so like all the Okay, sorry, I could just keep going with all the scenes, though. <laughs> Any, okay. Anytime there's rhyming, and the whole thing with uh, Indigo and Fezzik, um, those two together when they're rhyming and all that kind of mm. stuff, it's just, it's beautiful, so. Fantastic, yeah. Oh, I'm, really, I'm really keen to go watch it now. It sounds, sounds, like, uh, sounds like a hoot, yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Cool. Um, well, thank you for, your, for sharing the story of these three films, and um. Uh, just to sort of sort of wrap up this chat, I'm I'm keen to go back to your book for a moment if we can. Um, and you mentioned in that film you talk about twelve films. So, is there maybe a couple of other honourable mentions from that book, or or just any other film really about mental health you'd like to mention, and and maybe why it's helpful for for uh, for, for mental health? Sure. Um. So, basically, I'm trying to think. So I, I tie all the movies that I talk about in the book to mental health. It doesn't necessarily mean like, I mean, like The Princess Bride is not about mental health, but it's, I tie it to mental health. But yeah. I'm trying to think um, uh, one of them is that you can tie to mental health that I have in the book is Eternal Sunshine at the Spotless Mind. Oh, uh, yeah. So good. Brilliant. <laughs> so that one definitely talks about um what it's like to be depressed what it's like to be manic what it's like to be anxious mm. what it's like to feel like you don't belong yep dealing with that the breakup way. and everything yeah 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 that's dealing a fan- yep. fantastic film fantastic film yeah hopefully it'll pop up on on this podcast at some point we've had it mentioned already so yeah we'll see yeah and um anything recently that you've seen um that sort of stands out for you in terms of it addresses oh, mental health? health or just raises awareness maybe mm. oh you're gonna put me on the spot <laughs> um i'm trying to think what i've seen recently um well i think um everything everywhere all at once oh yes definitely touches yeah. on mental health i think it touches yeah. on feeling like disconnected from other people um feeling like complete overwhelm um personality um sort of breaking down fragment fragmented personalities yeah um i think that um but also how you know sort of coming together with your family and finding ways 
to connect with your family, how important that that is for your mental health and to sort of accept other people um, and bring them in. Mm. So I think yep. that one, that's, that's a good one in the last three years. That that's the, that's definitely one that I think everybody should see as well. Oh, I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. I, I just was blown away by that film and there's so much, going on in that movie to to process and talk about and it's a I, th- I think it's a film we'll be talking about for a long time and and it cleaned up at the oscars and you know deservedly so i thought it was really good mm-hmm. and just just a bonkers film but um very smart at the same time yeah all right well um yeah i think we could just pick your brain all day and about you know movies and then mental health and i think anyone who's been really uh you know drawn in by this and what Anne has to say definitely grab a copy of her book um, the title's popping popping up on the screen there. We'll share the link under the uh, video description for this episode. Um, and I can't wait to get my copy and um, I'm going to devour it. And, uh, you know, it'd be great to maybe have you on the show again in the future and talk about some other films because I think we could just, uh, you know, talk about films for, for a long time. So, but this has been great. It's been a, a really great conversation. Um, you know, thanks for sharing your story and your your uh, insight on these films and, and on mental health. and you know, just if I can say, you know, it's it's a topic that we can't talk about enough, I think. And, you know, it's always evolving. It's always changing. And, and there's new experiences and things happening in the world that trigger off mental health. And it can happen to anyone. I think we've seen that in the past few years that we've, we've all had our own experience of it. And if anyone's not quite ready to talk openly about it yet, you've got maybe a few films here you can turn to that might help you start to process some of those thoughts and i think that's a great thing to have in your in your arsenal is is have some films that you can just put on and make you feel better make you feel like you're not alone um and that uh that you can start to deal with stuff and i think it's a really great um perspective that you've got on films and mental health so thank you for bringing it to my movie story you know this has been a really great chat and hopefully it's been helpful for people watching uh who might be experiencing some some difficult times you know um the magic of the movies, you know, they're, they're there to help us feel good. So chuck on a movie <laughs> for sure. All right. Well, thank you, Anne, again, for being on the show. Uh, it's been a pleasure speaking with you and uh, thank you for your time. Thank you. I really had a good time and I'm really glad that we can get the message out about how important movies are to mental health. 100%. Couldn't agree more. Okay. Take care. You too. If this episode has raised any thoughts or feelings of concern for you regarding your mental health and well-being, help is always available. You can reach out to the following services anytime. In Australia, call Lifeline on 131114. In the USA, call the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline 988. And in the UK, text SHOUT to 85258.